Well, welcome. At this point, I'd like to invite Nathan to come forward for tonight's scripture reading. If you want to join us, you can do that in John chapter 3. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight, you may have noticed that in your seats there are sheets of paper. Feel free to take these if you want. And uh, Some people have been very adamant. When are you going to bring back some fill-in-the-blanks sermons? And uh, Actually, no one has asked me that. But uh, the idea struck me it might be a good thing for tonight. So I hope you enjoy that. It'd be a good way to, to, uh, to make some notes, too, as God speaks through his word tonight. When, well, it was 2007, uh, my, my, our family moved from the south to the, the far distant country of upstate New York. And it was a foreign culture in many ways. In many ways, it was very similar. But one difference for sure was the language barrier. Sure, we both spoke English, or I thought we did. For example, I grew up saying mountain. You climb a mountain. Upstate New York, you climb a mountain. See the difference? Yeah? I grew up drinking sweet tea. There's no sweet tea in the Northeast, uh, except at McDonald's, which is why we ate there frequently. Um, so it, there were very different things, and I remember not long after moving there to pastor a small church, one of my friends I had met through the church named Jim was helping us remodel the parsonage, the, the house that the pastor of the church lived in, had a lot of issues with it, and we were building onto the back of it, and he sent me from the construction site, the remodeling site of my home, to the hardware store, and he told me, Daniel, I need you to go get this. And he just said the word. This is going to pop up on the screen right here. There we go. Right there. He said, I need you to get a half-inch hose-form mandrel. I'm trying to say it the way he did, but it's hard for me to do that. Half-inch hose-form mandrel. And to help you understand a little bit better, Jim knows everything about every tool that's known to man, okay? I do not. And so throughout the course of our time working together, he would consistently tell me to get something. I'd be like, I don't know what that is, man. So when he got to this point, I'd been to the hardware store several times. He said it, and I said, what do you want me to get? A half-inch hose form mandrel. All right, I'll go get it. 
So I get in my car and I drive to the hardware store and the whole time I'm thinking, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be getting. And I didn't have an iPhone at the time to Google search or anything and probably in this small town didn't even have a signal that would allow me to do that. So I'm going up to the hardware store and I walk in and I'm like, all right, practice what he said. All right, half inch hold for mandrel. So I go in and I confidently say, ask for the next slide. I need a half-inch hose four-man drill. What do you need? <clears throat> a half-inch hose four-man drill. And I even, you know, showed my fingers. A four-man drill. He's like, a, four, a four-man drill? What is a four-man drill? Uh, hey, Jim, I'm at the hardware store, and uh, they don't know what a four-man drill is. And he starts laughing at me. It's not a four-man drill, man. It's a, it's a man drill which is the next slide, just to let you know, a half-inch hose four-mandrill does not equal a half-inch hose four-mandrill. So I felt like a large idiot when I went to the store, and it it led to uh, a frustrating experience, but it also led to a lot of funny stories that I still hear about from Jim, my good friend upstate. You ever been sent to do something and you felt totally unqualified to do it? Who are you to ask me to go do that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Many times when we are told that we are commissioned by Jesus to go and make disciples, we feel a little bit like I did in that hardware store. I don't have a clue what I'm doing here. I don't have a clue what I'm asking for. I really need someone to write it down and just let me hand it to them and get it. I feel totally unqualified. So when we hear something said that says Jesus sends us into the world. It can be very intimidating. So I want to be very aware that I understand that a lot of us feel reluctant and um, uneasy and anxious even to hear that we are supposed to live as missionaries because it is an intimidating feat. So I want us to see three things tonight that you can write down here that will not only help us feel better because Christianity is not just about feeling better, But it will empower us to live in a a new way to where we're not intimidated to go to the hardware store because we know what we're supposed to do. So the first thing I want us to see tonight is number one. Jesus was sent by the Father. So Jesus we're talking about is sending us. What we need to see first is that Jesus was sent by the Father. Our Lord, who is sending us, started out being sent by God to fulfill his mission. We see this in John chapter 3, verse 17. It reads this, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So if you keep that up there, it says, He did not send the Son into the world, but he did send the Son into the world for this reason. He didn't, he didn't do it for this reason, but he did it for that reason. So you could put a pr- in parentheses right here, but he did send the Son into the world that it might be saved through him. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. That was very clear in that passage, right? He came here to rescue the world. He came here to save the world from death. And look in the, verse, the next verse, verse 18. 
Here's why he did not come to condemn the world. He who believes in Jesus is not judged or condemned. He who does not believe has been judged, what? Already. Because, well, why is he judged already? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is very important. Jesus didn't come here to just make the neighborhood a better place to live for everyone until we die someday. He came here to make the world a better place by bringing life to a dying and hopeless world. The world we live in is not a a good place where bad things happen to good people. The world is not a good place where bad things happen to good people. But it is a place where people have rejected a good God who created life in a perfect way, and now the world lives in this broken state of suffering the effects of that rejection and rebellion. Narratives are stories that we tell ourselves. Our culture is replete with narratives. Our, our culture tells us this, as long as you're a good person, then God will take that into consideration. Our culture says, just do good things and, and God will see your heart. And it sounds good and many of us yearn and, and wish that were to be right. But the Christ-centered narrative tells us a different story that cannot line up with those stories. The Christ-centered narrative states clearly that we are condemned if we reject the name of the only Son of God. Not God in a general, but if we reject the name of the only Son of God. You understand what I just said is blasphemous to almost every other religion. You understand that what I just said is exactly what Jesus just said, and that is the reason why he was hanged on a cross. Why they stamped out, or tried to, as best they could, stamp out the rebellion that was happening by him claiming that he was God. We cannot do good things in life. We cannot be good people if we reject Jesus. The Father sent the Son, the one and only Son. And this is very important for us to understand that Jesus was sent because only life or life only could come through him. That was why he was sent by the Father. So the first thing tonight is to remember that Jesus was sent by the Father. The second one is this. Jesus sends his disciples. He sends his disciples. He doesn't send everyone out with a mission. Just like an employer doesn't go around giving orders to non-employees. You don't go out on the street and tell people to do a job that they're not hired to do. You don't, in the army, the army sergeant doesn't come to my house and wake me up at 5.30 in the morning, thankfully, because I'm sleeping. He doesn't wake me up and give me authority. He doesn't have authority over me. While God does have authority over me, there isn't a mission that is given to everyone on the world. But he does send out his disciples. In John chapter 20, verses 19, 19 through 21, we see where Jesus does this. This is the same book of John in the, in the Gospel of John, and so later on in chapter 20. It says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, the disciples, 
Now, this was the first day of the week. This is after the resurrection. This is on Sunday. He was risen that morning. He was raised that morning. And it was that evening, that first morning, when they were locked into this room. They were shut in. And the disciples were there. And they were there for fear of the Jews because the same people that had killed Jesus were now trying to uh, stop this rebellion. And everyone who was associated with him was now at risk as far as they thought. And so Jesus came and stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And then the disciples, the disciples then rejoiced. Now I want to stop here just for a moment. The word disciple here means follower. We don't use the word disciple a lot in our common language, but it means follower, and it's not just like following someone on Twitter or Instagram, but it means something more. It means that you submit to the leader. You submit yourself under him. You become his disciple or her disciple. You submit to not only them as a leader, but you submit to their way. You conform to them. And so Jesus was saying, as we saw earlier, that rejection of Jesus is going to mean that wrath and death still remains upon you. If you are rejecting Jesus, then you're still in your sentence of condemnation and death and sin and wrath still remain upon you. But when you surrender to Jesus, you become his follower and his disciple. That means that you are saved, rescued, that you are given eternal life. You are saved and rescued from death. And so you become a disciple of his. And what he said to his disciples was this, peace be with you. But then they saw him, and they rejoiced when they saw him. So they were really fearful, and then they saw the Lord in the next verse. And Jesus said to them, again, the same word. What is that? Peace be with you. Now the word peace there is is said twice to him, twice to his disciples. They needed to be reminded that they, while they were in the powerful presence of God, Jesus was dead just a couple of days before this. They had seen his gruesome crucifixion. They knew it was over. And then all of a sudden, they're locked into a room, locked. The doors are shut. And he shows up out of nowhere. They still recognize him as Jesus, but he's not bloody and mangled in a mess like he was when he was last seen on the cross. He's resurrected. There's something new about him. And it's stunning to them. And he says, peace be to you. Peace be with you. If there is no Jesus, then you will have no peace. You will have a fear of the Jews or whoever or whatever it is that you're afraid of in life. But if you know Jesus, then you will know peace because you'll be overwhelmed with God's presence. So Jesus gives peace to them. Peace be with you. And then he says these words, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus sent them out with the same authority that he was given from God the Father. Because in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, we read this. The reason Jesus can send them out is because he came up to them and spoke to the disciples and saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
So he's able to send them out the exact same way that the Father sent him out. Why does that matter? That's a great question. I'm glad you're paying attention. It matters because of this. We are not weak. We are not small. But we as the church are empowered by God to be His ambassadors. We are not powerless. But we are sent by the one who has all authority on heaven and earth. We are His sent ones. The word sent in uh, most all of those is the same word that is the root for apostles. So in some ways, we are the ones who are sent out with this message. You may be thinking, well, I may not be you know, apostolic or I may not be a pastor or whatever, so I'm in a profession, I'm a teacher, I work at a bank, I do these other things. Um, I'm not really qualified to be sent out by Jesus because you know, I'm just a normal, normal person. Well, to encourage you, being a fisherman or a tradesman didn't stop Jesus from sending the disciples of his. Being an immoral woman didn't stop Jesus from sending a woman back to her people to tell her people about the Messiah. On the other side of things, being a devout religious man like Saul was didn't stop Jesus from having to convert him to Christianity before he sent him out to preach Jesus. So there's no righteousness outside of faith in Christ. This is the Christian truth. And Jesus sends I should clarify that because sometimes people take your statements and they, that's not what I meant. This is a Christian truth, but it is also a truth Christians claim as truth for all people. Does that make sense? So I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be weak here and say, this is just something Christians say about Christians. But this is something that Christians believe is true for all people, that Christ is Lord over all, whether or not they acknowledge Him or not. There's no righteousness in anything or anyone other than Christ. Jesus sends out everyone. Can you say everyone? Everyone who has faith in Him. You and I are not called to do. You ready to have some relief? I don't feel called to go out. Here's some relief. We're not called to go out and do what Jesus did or teach what He taught as much as we are called to go out and continually point people to Him. We're not called to necessarily go out and do what he did and teach what he taught. But more importantly, we are called to go out and point people continually to him. This is what Jesus accomplished. This is how he fulfilled the prophecy. This is how he gives us life. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And we point ourselves to Jesus continually through prayer, songs, scripture, connect groups, church, communion. And we point others to the hope that we find in him through this. And our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. It's in what He has accomplished for us. We don't know everything right now, even though some of you are really close. Really close. You know a lot. I'm joking a little bit, but you do. You know a lot about Jesus. But what we do is we continue to pursue growth in our faith while simultaneously we rest in knowing that faith in Jesus is the only thing that pleases God. We continue to pursue growth in our faith while we rest in knowing the only way I can please God 
is by having my faith continually in Jesus. But Jesus sends out his disciples. So the question that we naturally come to is, are you one of his disciples? Number three. Jesus was sent by the Father. He sends his disciples. And thirdly, we are empowered by Jesus. He doesn't just give us an assignment and then step back and say, okay, here's a lot of wood here and some some nails. Just have fun. Go see what you can create. But he gives us the power we need to accomplish our assignment. And he gives us everything we need, which is... um, He gives us everything we need in order to accomplish the job that he's called us to do. And we see this in John chapter 20 and following. So right after he said what he said about I send you out, um, just as my father sent me, I I send you, he says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them. Now know what you're thinking. What does it mean that he breathed on them? When you try to visualize that, you wonder the same thing I wonder. What does resurrection breath smell like? Is it like minty fresh? Spearmint? Maybe cherry or strawberry? I don't know. But that is an odd phrase for us just to read today and pick up, right? Well, I learned some really cool things this week. Breathed on them is very important. So let me finish reading this. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Sounds like it's about to get personal in here. Jesus breathed on them. This is what breathed means. The word for wind, breath, and spirit in Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, and in Hebrew, which is what our Old Testament is written in, the word for wind, breath, and spirit are all the same thing. It's the same word in those two languages. And the the way we know which way to translate it is based on the context of how it's used. The words that are around it, who's speaking, who they're speaking to, that helps us form as to which one it is. But the wind is this. You ready? It's the healing breath of God's Spirit that has come to undo the effects of rebellion. I thought of one thing so clearly because it's inspired by the gospel, but I thought of Narnia when Aslan, 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 how you want to say it? Aslan was, it was after he was resurrected and he goes back to the, the white witch's castle and there's all these stone creatures that had been you know, killed by her, turned into stone creatures. And he goes up and he, and they start to become alive again, right? That's a picture of what God does for us, that he, he breathes life over them. And it's not just here that we see this used, but in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we see it happen for the first time. It says, Then the Lord God, in the story of creation, formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so what does Jesus do? He comes back to life, and he, he's among his uh, disciples, those who are closest to him, 
And on the first night of this new creation that Jesus has started, this new kingdom, this new creation, he does the same thing, and he, he breathes life on them by way of the Holy Spirit. When you come to faith in Jesus, he breathes life into you. In John 3, earlier before what we read tonight, Jesus is teaching a man named Nicodemus, and he says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom. So when we are born again, which means Nicodemus asks you know, appropriately, I'm a grown man, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus, that's dumb. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Not born of, uh, of water, but born of spirit. You have to be born again which means that you are born of the Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit of God, and He lives in our being. So I have a question. How much time do you spend acknowledging the Holy Spirit's presence of living in your life? How much time do you spend in prayer, prayer acknowledging, God, you live within me. Your Holy Spirit lives within me. I had a frustrating week or a day. It wasn't a frustrating week totally, but I had a frustrating day, evening, and then the next morning I was still frustrated. And, you know, when you're in a frustrated mood, you know, little things that normally wouldn't bother you just, you know, just really get under your skin. Well, that was happening. And I was confiding in, in John about it. And I was like, man, I, I feel like I just need to, to worship God. I don't know any other way to do it. In fact, the song that Angela, you've led us in many times, when temptation comes my way, teach my song to rise to you. Lord, I need you. And so I was thinking, man, it's a great way for us to, when temptation comes, to realize I need to get to worshiping God. And so for the next 15, 30 seconds, I had some silent prayer. He didn't even know I was doing it. But my prayer was something like this. I don't remember word for word, but this is what it was. It was, Lord Jesus, no matter what I do or don't do, and then I was quiet for a little bit because I was, I was quiet for the whole thing, but quiet in my thoughts. No matter what I do or don't do, it's you on the throne. Only you are worthy of worship. And my frustrations melt away in your presence. You promised me that you will handle them if I bring them to you. So here you go. I give my frustrations to you, and I praise you for caring for me so much that you actually invite me to do this. I got a lot better pretty quick. But what if we did this for our Holy, the Holy Spirit living within us as well? And we say, Holy Spirit, you live within me. It's you that empower me with your life-giving presence. And in this moment, with all of these things going around, I surrender to you. I trust you. I submit my desires to you. I believe you will place your desires on my heart because, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Master and my King. How much time do you spend acknowledging that the presence of God lives within you?
It's from this posture that we can proclaim the message given to us. So he empowers us by the Holy Spirit. God doesn't leave us alone, but he gives us the very same power that Jesus had, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gives us this power for one reason, or for many a myriad of reasons, but in this scripture we see one reason, and it's in verse 23. John chapter 20, verse 23. I give, receive the Holy Spirit, and he says, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain, that means keep, if you hold on to the sins of any, they have been retained. And what he's saying is if, if you keep them in sins, it will keep them there. That's what it appears to say, but this is what it means. First of all, the first half of that means if you forgive sins means that we are to preach the message of Jesus, forgiving all who believe in him. Forgive the sins of many. Believe means to trust it means to surrender. So this is what we are to do, is to go out and to tell people, forgiveness is waiting for you when you believe in Jesus. This is the positive side of this. The other positive, which is a negative, is this. I skipped ahead. A Christian is a requirement for being sent by Jesus, remember, as a disciple? And what it means is to receive that forgiveness of sins through believing in the gospel, it means you have to be all in. It doesn't mean like, oh, yeah, yeah, it, it's good. I, I believe that to be true. Whatever works for you, that's fine. Yeah, I'm a Christian. My parents went to church. That's not what, he, that's not what he's saying. He's saying a Christian is, you're saying 100% of me belongs to Jesus. That's what the totality of being a, a disciple, a follower of Christ is, that you are under him, and your sins are forgiven through him. The second part is that if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And that means this, that we are called and commissioned and empowered to warn the world that sin is serious and that remaining in it will result in death. We're to rebuke, we're to warn the rebellious world. You ready to go do that? I'm not saying that you should start posting messages on Facebook and say, like this picture or share this picture if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. Please don't do that. Don't send it to me. I, I actually never forward those, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I have not been struck by lightning yet. But I am saying this. There are people in your sphere of influence that God has sent you to reach. There are people that you know that God is using you to reach them. People that you love. People that you are close to. And even those people who are really difficult for you to be around that actually potentially could be the same person. Who are those people in your life? On your sheet here, I would encourage you to write down the name of three people that come to your mind that need to embrace Jesus. I don't know who they are. You are close to people that I'm not close to. 
I'm close to people that you're not close to. I've already written my three people down in preparation for this. And if they're sitting next to you, just make up like a code name for them that only you know, like Luke Skywalker. You know who you're talking about. But write them down and do these things. Do these things. Pray for them, number one. Number two, ask God, how can I encourage them? How have you uniquely gifted me to be a voice in their life? How can I encourage them? And number three, how can I invite them to either a connect group or to church in a way that's authentic? That I'm not trying to be this pious person uh, coming into their life and telling them what they should do, but give me a way to do that. Is it awkward? Potentially. Is it easy? Not necessarily. Are you going to give a clear and fast answer on this? Maybe. Thank you. I had an experience. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tell the story because I think it makes sense. So before coming here, I was getting on the subway, and a train I was waiting for the train to come, and uh, there was a backlog. And so the first train um, was just catching up. And so as it got closer, I heard the rails down here on the track start to... And then the train came by, and the conductor was like, I'm not stopping. And I was like, get out of here. And so he goes past, and when the train exits, exits the station, I still hear the, the metal tracks down there. Right? You ever heard that? So as the train gets farther away, I notice that the noise from the rails becomes less and less loud. And it fades away to nothing. Now, the train is still on the track, right? The train is still on the track, but it's just a long way down there. And I started thinking, those rails are a lot like we are. When we are close to the train, which God would be the train, then we'll sing the noises that the train is drawing and, and forcing us to make, that we'll, we'll have that connection, that close connection with God, and it will be natural for us. But the farther we get from God, even though we're still connected with Him, we're a long way from Him. And so we can be silent. And so it's in those times when it's awkward to share your faith with people, but if you're living in close proximity to the Lord, it will not be awkward for your faith to come up. In fact, it will be the most authentic thing about your day. It will be sharing your love for Christ. The reason we don't share Him as much as we want to is because we really just don't want to. Now I realize there are constraints that we have in the workplace that you can't just go off popping off repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ yes, lest ye perish. I understand those things. But I'm talking about the authentic moments where you can be you. I'm not talking about the employee hat. I'm talking about you. When you're having dinner or drinks. Is it easy for Jesus to enter those conversations? And if it's not, there's an easy fix. You need to do what I did this past week. You need to get some time where you're worshiping the Lord. You need to reconnect with Him. You need to be, every time you see a subway train and you hear those rails, you, that needs to be me. I'm here for a reason, for God to run over me. I'm kidding, that's not it. I'm here for a reason, to serve a purpose, and God is going to use me to take His message around this whole city. But are you close to Him? Is it awkward? Possibly. Is it easy? Sometimes. But when you love Jesus more than you love yourself, and you love Jesus more than what... When you love Him more than 
you want people to like you or what people think of you, then it will become effortless. It will be the overflow of your heart. Jesus had a very clear vision for his life. He didn't preach a message to himself or tell a story to himself that I'm my own man. I can do what I want to do, whatever I want to do. This is my world. But instead, he surrendered to God's will. He was united with the Father in love. He was the servant of all servants who became the good news for us, the good news for a dying world. In fact, he crucified, listen to this, he crucified his own desires before the council crucified his body. In John, which is the same book that we're looking at, John chapter 6, verse 38, it reads this. Jesus says, John chapter 6 on the slide right here. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is the will of God who sent Jesus? It's in the next verses. And this is the will of God. This is the will of him who sent me. That all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, say everyone, everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself, I, Jesus, will raise him up on the last day. This is the will of God, that if you're a Christian, that you are sent by Jesus into the world, and we are to embrace the magnificent calling that God has over our life. And the will of God is this, that all who believe in him will have eternal life, and one day Jesus is going to raise us up forever victorious. Isn't that amazing? We're going to be where there will be no more tears and no more death. The song that we sang tonight for the first time here had a beautiful line that says um, something about his death crushed death. I love that. It was so good. But he has chosen you to be carriers of this beautiful message. Not to go out and do what he did. Not to be the train, but to be the tracks upon which the train runs. You are to proclaim the mission that he's already accomplished. And if you've not surrendered your life to him as Lord, then today's the day for you to do that. You can't be sent by him until you come under his lordship and receive the life that is given to all who call on him as Lord and Savior. Jesus sends us into the world. You are not an afterthought. You are plan A. He has an assignment for you. You are an active part of God's plan to implement the accomplishment that Jesus has already done. You don't have to go save the world. You're called, just like I am called, to tell the world that there's one who already has. And you're to point the world to him. So don't shrink back in worry, but bow down before the Most High God and receive the empowerment of his Spirit. When you're afraid, stop, acknowledge the power of the Spirit living within you, and refuse to squander this magnificent, wonderful opportunity to see life breathed into death.
Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would breathe a fresh wind of life and spirit into our lives right now, that we would receive the Holy Spirit in more powerful ways, that we would not shrink back, that we would not um, squander our opportunity to be a blessing, to speak life into the people of those around us. I pray for my three people on my list. I pray that you would uh, bring life to them, that you would use me to do that, and that I would not rejoice in a job that I have done when that happens, but that I would simply rejoice in the life that you have given them through your death and your life. As you sent Jesus, Father, we acknowledge that he has sent us into the world. And Jesus, we thank you for staying focused on your mission and that you have brought life to the dead world. And now, Holy Spirit, we surrender to you and say, may God's will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. Amen.